All right, Tron, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Once again, on the podcast, the C3 Media, the Cryptocurrency Chat Podcast. As I do traditionally with all my guests on the podcast, and this is not your first time, but I'm going to just play the role and just say, hey, this is your first time because there might be a new viewer out there or a new listener out there that is hearing this or watching this for the first time. So I think it's nice to just start fresh and give them everything we can offer about Ravencoin. So in regards to uh, the first question I want to ask you is, this is the icebreaker question. What is your favorite animal? Favorite animal. Um, I, I'd have to say right now, we, we have, we have a, a golden retriever that's just uh, so friendly, so uh, lovable. Uh, and so, so right now, I'd have to say our, our, our golden retriever named Hana, and named after Ohana, and which means family. So yeah, that, that, yeah, that'd be my choice. You know what? I think that was actually the same answer you gave last time. I just wanted to test you, make sure you knew that you knew you didn't you didn't you didn't betray Hana. It, it could be the same. It might have changed. Who knows? <laughs> all right. But, uh, yeah. All right, everyone, cryptonauts all around the world and Ravenites all around the world. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We have the legendary Tron Black, founder and lead developer of Ravencoin. Tron Black is located in Salt Lake City, Utah, United States. Tron Black studied at Pepperdine University and University of Utah. Tron Black is a freedom advocate, crypto developer, entrepreneur, and founder of two startups that were sold to publicly traded companies. Tron holds a BS in computer science and a master's of business uh, administration. Since early 2013, Tron has been working in the cryptocurrency space as a miner, developer, investor, and trader. He was one of the first five employees of T0 and helped issue the first publicly traded SEC acknowledged parallel crypto equity for Overstock.com and issued the world's first crypto bond offering. He worked for ANX International, a crypto fintech company located in Hong Kong. Tron was a principal developer for Medici Ventures, which invested in a portfolio of blockchain companies including T0, uh, Bankerus, Bit votes mines chainstone labs ripio settlement settlement vincent and spira tron has given away cryptocurrencies to hundreds of people in order to increase awareness of how value now moves as easily as email he's written an article about bitcoin monero dash financial regulations security tokens or stos and Ravencoin, and has been featured on many cryptocurrency podcasts, including this one. He's the inventor on a number of patents in the crypto space and regularly gives talks on cryptocurrency topics worldwide. Tron is currently the president of the Ravencoin Foundation and advisor to T0, TUSC, uh, WETX, and Rilio.fund, Equistart, and supporter of RVN, which is both a top cryptocurrency and a leading crypto asset platform. Welcome, Tron. Welcome to the podcast. Wow, thank you. That was uh, quite the introduction. Uh, it was only, uh, I didn't go to Pepperdine, so I don't, I'm not sure how that snuck okay. in and where that mm. came from. Okay. Uh, but all the other stuff seemed pretty pretty close to accurate. So I'm um, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Perfect. All right, so before we continue, 
Jake, with a disclaimer, please. Alrighty. We, uh, <laughs> we appreciate everyone participating and uh, viewing and listening to our, uh, both to Twitch as well as to uh, YouTube and Anchor when these are released on their recorded platforms. Yet if you uh, are watching via YouTube, which we are going to release this content to, and you probably are looking at me right now, <laughs> we appreciate a like and a subscribe if you want to continue to hear more stuff. We do uh, podcasts, our news and crypto uh, top 10 every Wednesday and Sunday. But we also do interviews like this one every Thursday. And we're going to be continuing these on in the new year because we've had so much interest. It's very exciting. We also are on our own Discord channel, like many cryptocurrency uh, groups are, kind of like DAOs, but we're not a DAO yet. And we're also on Twitter Live Spaces, which John can help you out with. Uh, he does those almost every day now. <laughs> we're also on Patreon, which you can support us at the 3 5 and $10 level. And you can also support us via various cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, BAT, and, of course, Raven. You can check out all that information in the description below. And the coast co-host and guests are not giving financial advice keep that in mind this is all for yes, entertainment purposes only thank but, you for reminding me right. yep. no worries. Right, i skipped right over that thinking of talking about the plug but yeah no worries we're uh <clears throat> none of this is Yep. <laughs> <laughs> before we continue tron in the white paper there is an introduction which jake's going to read here momentarily uh I, wa I want you to listen to this. You know, you know, you know, obviously what it is, but I want you to listen to it and, and, and tell me where did this inspiration come from to have this intro placed right at the top? Go ahead, Jake. The uh, intro to the white, white paper? Correct. Which one did you? Oh, okay. uh, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, italics. In the fictional world of Westeros, ravens are used as messengers who carry statements of truth. Ravencoin is a use case focused blockchain designed to carry statements of truth about who owns what assets. Do you like me to continue? Yep. Go ahead, Tron. Uh, yeah, so uh, so that actually came from uh, from Bruce Fenton. So uh, he, he co-wrote the, the white paper and uh, he kind of infused the the, the, the brand and the raving uh, ravens and the, the the mythology behind the ravens uh, into the white paper and also um, you know added footnotes and things like that so it was actually kind of a joint effort because I had written a lot of the, the technical aspects of it and so uh, we kind of worked together on that nice nice now uh, when I was reading your uh, your introduction there was something that caught my attention which was that you wrote uh, articles for um, it was uh, Bitcoin, Monero, and Dash. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what inspired you to write or look into those particular projects, those crypto projects, and, and write about them? Yeah. So this so was early, early on, uh, and this, so this would have been you know probably 2013, 2014, uh, before I went to work uh, for uh, for Overstock to work on on T zero. Uh, I was kind of exploring all of the different cryptos. So, you know, the, you know, the top 100 at the time and, and, you know, what they were and where they came from and how they were, how they were built and, and, you know, what their, uh, you know, the ethos was and things like that. And, and there were certain ones that just resonated with me and, uh, you know, obviously Bitcoin uh, and, and then Dash uh, also did. Um, I kind of liked the, 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 um, the, 
the what do you call it the mine's blanking the, the blockchain uh, what? uh not the blockchain the part where you can you can have it uh you can earn funds from it and and staking. you can the what's that staking uh yeah we'll call it staking it, it actually has a name under dash i just can't remember what it, what it was it's been a while um but but you could basically uh deposit a thousand dash and you could earn uh, rewards for the, uh, master the master node. Uh, yep. Master node. Yeah, I don't know where, where that where a great one there. So you create a master node, set that up. You have a thousand dash, and and you get uh, basically rewards from that. So and it basically is staking, uh, but it powered the master node network. Uh, and then I also really like the the thing where you could do a proposal. You get a proposal ID and attach a proposal, and then people who who uh, owned a thousand dash or ran a master node. Uh, would be able to vote on those proposals and it, it, you know uh, so that they were kind of the first ones to do that it was a pretty innovative thing and then uh you know and then there was like dozens or hundreds of of uh you know coins that kind of got copied that idea and, and so the idea of a master node kind of faded um not faded but but uh there was just so many of them mm-hmm. uh that that you know just uh i guess it yeah that the the novelty of it for sure faded and Anyway, I like the, those ideas, and I like the idea where these master nodes could help fund, uh, you know, help fund the core development, help fund uh, the uh, you know additional things, help do marketing things like that. Um, and then part of that was uh, that there were uh, projects that 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 I went to where where uh, they they would give away dash, and and then uh, so we, you know I would go to like a park here in Utah. And there would be a booth, and and we created, um, you know, someone else did this proposal and created uh, paper paper wallets uh, with dash on them, and, and we could basically just give them away and and, uh, and you know explain to people, you know, that it's dash and here download the wallet, had instructions on the back and things like that. So um, so I, I did that, and then I did a actually a proposal. You know, I did that for a while, and I actually really enjoyed it, being able to talk to people about cryptocurrency, and then give them some at the same time. Uh, so I did a proposal that I would give uh, people Dash, uh, and uh, so then uh, the, the blockchain masternode rewarded uh, me Dash, and then I, I basically gave lots and lots of people. I mean, every, everybody I met, I would do talks about it, uh, it you know, at Overstock and and, and uh, meetups and and give away Dash, and so I really enjoyed that. What about these what days? About, I give away Raven. What what, <laughs> what about Bitcoin and Monero? Uh, well, so Bitcoin was the, the obvious one. I mean, it was the first one I ever purchased. Uh, wouldn't say, you know, it felt late at the time. It was or, you know, kind of early 2013, but it felt really late at the time, uh, you know, because it had been like pennies the year before and, you know, it had run up all the way up to a dollar and everybody sold at a dollar when it reached a dollar and things like that. Um, and, you know, and then it dropped down and got up to $30. And so I got in, uh, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of $50. And so I wanted to buy some and it was tricky. Uh, so I finally found this thing, a uh, place called Bit Instant, uh, which, you know, people probably know was, uh, Charlie Shrem's, uh, venture and, and, uh, but you had, they had to get cash. And so that was tricky at the time. Uh, they had kind of partnered with zip zap. So you could go down to a Walmart and you could, you could fill out a form and then you could give them cash. And basically that cash turned into, you know the the zip zap would basically you know electronically get it over to BitInstant and then they would send you the funds and uh, and I've told this story actually on on Charlie Shrem's podcast as well but um, it, I basically did that and I was buying I don't know four Bitcoin or something it wasn't a lot 
but uh, after I, I bought it, it never showed up. And I was upset. I mean, like, like raging, angry kind of thing. Like, ah, oh, I've been ripped off. And who's behind this, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, I, I feel really bad now because I wrote some angry emails. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have. But uh, I, watched, I watched these uh, documentaries about what Pitt Instant was going through at the time. And it was just an explosion of people trying to get Bitcoin. And so they were just overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, so anyway, I, I eventually got it. it just took you know days or weeks or something. But but I, I eventually got it. But, uh, you know, I watched in these documentaries where they're just like, you know, just the, the world's crashing down on this because they just have so much demand. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, one one small drop in that ocean that was that was, uh, you know. And Monero? You know, what about Monero? Crashing. Uh, so Monero, I actually like the spirit of Monero. I do like the, I mean, there is kind of an advantage, I think, to having, uh, you know, privacy of of of, uh, of commerce, right? And so uh, while Bitcoin is, you know, it's, you know, like, you know, originally in the white paper, it was cash, uh, digital cash. Uh, Monero is more like digital cash just because there isn't like this, you know, kind of, you know, it's it's in Bitcoin. It's as if a piece of yarn goes from every address to every address from the origination of 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 the original, you know, Bitcoin when it's mined into existence. There's kind of it's like there's a tracking piece of yarn between that and and every every uh, you know and every address. You can you can kind of deconstruct all of those all of those network links and and Monero just uh, kind of removes those uh, uses ring signatures uh, to kind of uh, make that kind of a, a fuzzy uh, thing instead of a direct connection between addresses yeah I, I've tried I tried uh, 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 using using Monero and I've done a few uh, transactions on there just to see how the the blockchain works and it's 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 quite fascinating I, I do I do actually like that um, but yeah that's for another topic um, so you also mentioned fintech regulations and STOs and I really want to talk about those too because I think that's really important especially what's going on now with um, I guess Congress and, and governments getting involved in crypto so I want to ask you what is your current scope regarding uh, fintech regulations and STOs yeah so uh, early on I was uh, introduced uh, to those regulations uh, first time I ever heard of them was a, you know, it was just a meetup and and we had talked about, you know, using like counterparty and using that as stock, you know, counterparty was a, was a layer on top of Bitcoin that allow you to create shares uh, on top of, on top of Bitcoin, create tokens, uh, much like Ravencoin does, but integrated. And somebody said, oh yeah, no, you, that, you know, that, that would potentially, you know, run afoul of, uh, of the SEC laws. At the time, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, it was, it, you know, it was completely ignorant of them. And uh, so I started looking into them and then I said, well, this is going to be like an issue or a clash because, you know, there is, you know, kind of this idea of like transferring stuff around and potentially representing that value. So anyway, when I worked, went to work for T0, T0 was building uh, uh, and well, they actually originally hired the counterparty guys, uh, the guys who were building counterparty. Mm. Uh, so tokens on top of on top of Bitcoin. And uh, by the time I was hired there, which is just really months later, uh, they they had just left. And so uh, we actually used Counterparty uh, still to uh, issue bonds, like the first bond offering, uh, which is basically a, a bank loan uh, type thing with, with Overstock. Uh, and we built uh, some tracking for being able to track uh, stock borrowing. And we, we issued some of those on, on Counterparty. 
Uh, but I, that, that's where I started learning that, that, uh, you know, the, the easy part was the technical, right. The, the programming and the, and the blockchain stuff, that was all easy compared to, uh, the legal. And so fast forward another, you know, six years and it's, there's, uh, not a whole lot more clarity. There's a lot more information out there about it, you know, and, and there's, there's lawyers that specialize in it now and things like that, but not a ton more clarity. Um, uh, but there's, there's some more clarity, right. They, you know, for specific things for something that is a security, uh, well, really the ICO thing was the kind of the doing it without the regulation. So ICO is basically STOs without following the regulations. Uh, but in the U S uh, the SEC basically says, if you sell a share of something and there's the expectation of profit and you sell it and, and, you know, there's people behind the, in the company that have to be doing something, uh, you know, and then potentially promoting it and things like that. You know, so it fits, hits these four, how we test. And there's some other, I guess, legal tests that they, that they use as well. Farmer, I think is another one. Um, then, then it's potentially a security and, uh, it's not doesn't make it illegal. It just means you have to follow a set of rules. And some of those rules, I think, are crazy. I mean, they're just they're, you know, if, if the government's worrying about uh, about, uh, you know, kind of this gap between, uh, you know, the, the rich and the, and, and the struggling, uh, you know, the Gini coefficient, that gap between them. Uh, this is I mean, they, they coded it right into the law. Right. They, they basically said, oh, yeah, no, if you want to invest in something, you have to you have to be wealthy. And so basically locked people out of like kind of the best investment. So they were never able to 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 take advantage of the, you know, investing in things like Uber before it went public or Amazon before it went public or a whole bunch of private right. companies that mm -hmm. are not yet public. They were just locked out of it. Uh, you know, they don't have a chance. Um, and so. You know, if, if they're going to point fingers, they need to kind of point fingers at themselves for kind of coding this into the law. They made one change, which actually I think is really, really, really good, uh, which is they've added an education component to it. Uh, that's pretty new. I think it was last year. Uh, so you can actually become accredited, which is this, you know, right, right before this, before the education, you can become accredited by uh, having a million dollars net worth, but you couldn't count your primary residence or you had to make 200,000 uh if you're single or three hundred thousand if you're married and that's a pretty high bar you know it may not sound like it to somebody who like lives in new york says oh yeah you know a lot of people i make that but most of the rest of the country you know in my in my estimation or you know, research most people don't make that and so it locks out a lot of people um but by adding this education uh they added um uh, and I had written an article about this before they did it. I'm not saying I was responsible for it, but I did suggest that that if they really want somebody accredited, that, that it's really what they were saying was we want somebody who is a sophisticated investor, not just a wealthy person. Right They're, You know, they would allow some, you know, 18 year old trust fund baby to 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 do to invest that way. But they wouldn't allow somebody who's literally not making a lot of money, but is teaching investment in, in a university wouldn't be able to invest. And so if they did via education, they could solve that problem. And so they did. Uh, you can now take, I think, I want to say it's the Series 62 or the Series 7, which is tougher. You have to be sponsored. I think there were three different tests, but I think the Series 62 is doable. Um, and I don't think you have to be sponsored to do it. So I think that allows people. I mean, it's a lot of work, right? And you have to learn a bunch of stuff. But, but you know, for someone who really wants to do it, that's, uh, I think, a lot more attainable than, than, than you know, getting a million dollars. Jake, uh, I think once you're looking into this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we actually talked about this. 
John and I initially when I was looking into doing this for my own company. But uh, the uh, I can't remember exactly which series he's talking, but he's right about the 60 series. Um, I was studying because you have to take the um, the uh, life insurance exam before they let you do the the advisory exams. And yeah, so I actually studied probably about 65% through the the class to do that. Anyways, long story short, the the reason for this was I was intent on basically, you know, uh, doing securities uh, in blockchain. I, I run a farm and I also consult. Uh, some of my customers want to know, you know, can I invest in this? Now, of course, it's possible now. Um, you can invest in it. There's what... Bitcoin futures, uh, hopefully soon to be, you know, spot trading and, and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, if people want to put money and not have to really see so much be tied to blockchain itself, although I, I think us three would all would all agree it's better to own than to just, you know, uh, sit on the outside, even with the ups and downs. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as doing what you suggested, it, it is something that it is entirely possible to take those tests. They're, they're not cheap, but you know, if you want to get the license, it's definitely doable. Yeah. Yep. Tron. So you, uh, ha, uh, you've worked for, uh, Medici Ventures, right? As the principal yep. software developer, um, how long as a principal, a principal as, software developer, because there, there were others, so okay. not the, but a, See, yeah. and that's, and that's what I wanted to get, uh, in regards to Medici Ventures, is that I don't really know much about Medici Ventures. Can you paint us a picture of what Medici Ventures is and how large that particular company is? Because I, I really don't know. So if I don't know, I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't know as well. I've heard of the name yeah. circulated in the in the Ravencoin community, but I don't. There's not. I mean, other than their their page that they have, I, I don't really know much. So if you can just paint us a picture of what sure. Medici Ventures is all about. Okay, I can paint you a picture of what Medici Ventures was, uh, but not what it is because it's actually, well, it's now just a fund, right? So it has no employees. Uh, I think at its peak, well, I'm going to take a guess. I could be wrong, uh, you know, around 80 developers or 80 people. Um, and uh, But the main uh, focus of it was to invest in crypto or rather, let me rephrase that, uh, in blockchain-based companies uh, in specific areas. So... Uh, voting and uh, land land or, or titling. Uh, and I probably won't remember all of the areas, but ba basically six areas that were mostly related to finance and, and, and voting. Uh, and so they invested, uh, you know, so that was a kind of that narrow, narrowed the focus to those types of companies. Uh, so people would come in and, and kind of do their pitch. And, and uh, you know, we invested, I think, in votes and votum. So two different blockchain voting companies uh, where, you know, the, the, the votes would actually be recorded on the blockchain, um, which would be probably super useful for, you know, kind of recent, recent things that, that went on in this last election. But um, they, you know, they, I think they were used for, it had been used for various county elections and things like that in different states. Uh, anyway, long story short, the, 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 the Medici Ventures would, would invest in these companies and uh, they would be offered uh, development resources, uh, but for additional equity, so a sort of sweat equity, so additional shares for 
uh, for you know kind of additional work on work with blockchain and and actually had developers and and teams that kind of you know did Scrum and Agile and things like that would would help with the development if they did if they needed it. Uh, not every company needed it or wanted it. Some did, uh, and so you know the companies were kind of built out like that. And uh, then at some point, long way in 2020, so just you know last year, I guess mid last year. Um, uh, kind of out of the blue, uh, up until then, Medici Ventures was basically was kind of paying for the team, uh, for, uh, building Ravencoin. And they said, we're going to, we're going to shift that out of Medici Ventures and into a foundation. So oh, what, what foundation? They said, we're going to help pay for a foundation, uh, and get, you know, to create the, the, uh, uh, create the foundation and fund it, uh, uh, you know, not, not exorbitantly but with, with some money to kind of help uh you know and transfer the you know uh, things that that medici was doing uh running nodes and various different things uh so that's what happened uh, so so the ravencoin foundation is uh was created it's a it's a 501c6 created out of wyoming you know incorporated in wyoming uh and it, so it's a non-profit and it basically has you know access to the you know to aws servers and and uh Google servers and DigitalOcean servers, uh, and then just kind of manages uh, some keys and things like that. Um, and and then uh, about six months after that, uh, I got word kind of at the same time that everybody else did that uh, that they were basically taking Medici and and not they were not shutting it down. Well, they were shutting down, meaning all the developers were being redeployed elsewhere or finding other jobs, and the uh, entity would be just a financial entity, meaning it would just be a legal entity that held the shares of, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 18 different companies, blockchain companies. And there was some arrangements uh, made. And I think, you know, the, those, that information is public, but it's like Overstock gets the first amount that they invested in and then some sort of split with Pelion Venture Partners, who's actually managing this financial fund. So Medici is, uh, for all intents and purposes, no more other than this financial fund that kind of sits on, on Overstock's books. Um, and, but uh, Ravencoin, since it wasn't a company, isn't a company, uh, didn't fit that model. Uh, it's now, uh, it, you know, the, the resources have kind of been moved over to the Ravencoin Foundation. Uh, so the Ravencoin Foundation has a board uh, that I you know, work with or whatever and, and, uh, and has uh, some funds, some both crypto funds and some U.S. dollar funds. And we help uh, some projects that that you know, or raise more funds for projects, and also holding the the uh, some of the crypto funds that were raised for doing security audits. And so we try to keep the code safe and and secure. Thank you. Uh, okay, so in regards to Ravencoin, um, we're going to back to Ravencoin. What was your guys' inspiration? I'm assuming you and Bruce Fenton. There was a few others there. I, I think there was a total of five, correct? That created the white paper. Who are the other? Uh, yeah, so, so there oh, were some right. other people. Um, uh, I would say uh, the inspiration, I would say, came from Bruce. Uh, so it was uh, Ravencoin was uh, was his idea or his team. He, you know, he, has, a, he has a team of people at, uh, at Chainstone Capital. And, and so they had... Uh, kind of the branding the logo uh and in fact i think they had actually started by hiring some development development resources out of russia that did that turned out 
it didn't work out. I'm not exactly sure the full story it was some car wreck or something that happened. And uh, he was also on the board of, of, of either Medici Ventures or of Overstock. And so he had talked to Patrick, uh, Patrick Byrne, uh, CEO of Overstock. And, and Patrick said, well, we may have some res- you know, development resources that could help. And I just happened to get word of it uh, kind of early on. And it happened to fit my skill set. Um, C, C++ developer um, and, you know, passionate about crypto and, and it actually done stuff with Counterparty, which was the building assets on top of Bitcoin and worked with uh, you know, MasterCoin and, and, and different uh, similar pro- and open assets, which is also similar. Um, and so we kind of, you know, said, yeah, that's what I want to be involved in. And then, uh, yeah, and then had some brainstorming sessions uh, over wings uh, with, with Joel Waite. Um, we came up with the X16R algorithm, and so that kind of started it. So I kind of wrote up the X16R algorithm, and we said, "Let's let's kind of swap it out for for uh, for for bitcoins, and you know, change the logo and all." And basically, just kind of began that way, and then get access to I would say some of the top mm-hmm. developers that were in uh, Overstock slash Medici. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't necessarily C C plus plus developers, so it's a little bit of spin up time. That's very required. That's very rare to find nowadays. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, and, and and Overstock was a Java shop, so you know most of the people had Java, and, but but they were also you know smart people, right? You know, mm-hmm. with, with architect skills and, and things like that. So, um, you know, we had, we had a we actually had a really good team, and we basically got our own room within Overstock's building, and. Uh, you know, sadly, and, and uh, it was next to right next to the to the restaurant area in the building, and which played Christmas music the entire time. So we still have a little PTSD from that, but, but uh, we, yeah, we basically uh, we do we did the first first revision, right? The first revision was basically uh, you know sort of modifying the the block speed, block size, the swapping out the algorithm, uh, changing the ports, things like that. Mm-hmm. That was kind of those were kind of the first steps. Um, we actually uh, did some quite a bit of testing on the mining uh, before. Uh, so you know there were a lot of people within uh, Medici kind of helping out doing test mining uh, you know, on testnet before we launched it, mm-hmm. and then we launched it on January third of two thousand eighteen, but without asset support. So that came later. Okay. Well, I mean that was going to be the next question, uh, but it seems like you've already are you. Are you reading my stuff? I mean, what's going on here? You, <laughs> so the next question was, is going to be, um, can you give the viewers and the listeners that that, uh, that are here for the first time trying to understand what Ravencoin is all about, give us like a quick synopsis of, of what Ravencoin represents and what makes it unique compared to other crypto projects? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so one of the things that makes it unique, and, and, and during the time it was born, um, if you want go back in time uh, to kind of that 2017, 2018 timeframe, right? Like, you know, we'll call it second half of 17, 2017, first, first part of 2018. Uh, the big thing during that time was ICOs. Uh, people were raising money like crazy. I mean, it was, it was kind of a bull market. Uh, people were selling you know, EOS was doing a thing where they'd sell some every day after doing kind of an initial launch. And people were selling, selling tokens. Uh, and uh, Bruce, being a, a stockbroker and kind of understanding that when you do that, especially if something isn't built yet, uh, then 
those basically, you know, effectively, if you're giving them, uh, you know, kind of tokens that represent, uh, you know, mm -hmm. kind of future, you know, expectation of profit, and you're selling right. to it, ICOs. you hit all the Howey test things. ICOs and, being and the IOUs, right? Yeah, and and so those are those are securities under securities law, and, th and th these things are being tested. A lot of them. A lot of them had to give the money back. Uh, some other ones, uh, right now, I think Ripple's the big one, and Ripple's fighting back, um, which is which is which is great. Um, you know, I mean, the the if, I think if the SEC had been kind of we'll say playing fair and and doing good rules, and everybody had kind of a clear picture and things like that about you know what was done, or maybe they forgave the ones you know from before because mm -hmm. they weren't clear on the rules or something, uh, be but, in a different spot. But right now, but they're not. It, it just seems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, they literally, I mean, you literally try to ask questions like, is Ethereum a security or was it a security and things like that? And it's kind of, you get dissembling and you get, you know, like different answers. And, you know, there was articles, the so Hinman article and things like that, which it just about. But anyway, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that kind of happened and, and it's still not clear. Um, just, you know, putting that on the record, it's, it's not clear. Um, so anyway, it's uh, but but back then, so this was this was 2017. There was a lot of that going on, you know. And it's very very tempting to raise money. I mean, you know, we mm -hmm. had we had uh, you know high profile, right? This is coming out of overstock and things like that. But Bruce was uh, smart enough and understood that that uh, you know that this stuff was was uh, potentially security. So um, we stayed completely away from that. No money was raised. Uh, the the funds that came, it came were from Medici Ventures. Uh, that basically paid the develop for the development. So there was no funds raised, and then it was uh, fair launch. So we basically kind of let everybody know at the same time, uh, you know, via Twitter and different things uh, that you know it was you could mine it. You could mine it with a CPU, so anybody could download it, Windows, Linux, or Mac, and start mining uh, on that January third date. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of people in overstock, you know, that were, you know, that could mine it, but there was a lot of people around the world that, that could mine it all at the same time. And then all the Raven get issued via mining. And so that's, uh, you know, that, that was the, that was the fair launch. Uh, so it launched more like Bitcoin than it did like Ethereum, for example, right? Cause Ethereum, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful they did cause I was kind of involved in the early Ethereum as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, not, not in development sense, but in, in, a um, you know, being able to get some, but those Ethereum were put into the first block. Uh, and so there was sort of like this pre-mine of the ones that people bought early on uh, were put in the early blocks. And so those were, um, uh, they weren't all mined into existence. Some of them were kind of purchased into existence. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah. so anyway, uh, so that's one thing that makes it very unique, uh, fair lunch. Uh, and then, and I think that's super important um, uh, just, you know, from nature of the project. Uh, the other thing that we added and the thing that makes it just not a copy of, of Bitcoin is uh, the ability to create your own assets. So that we weren't the first ones to do that, right? That was done uh, via counterparty and some second tier things on different different things. But uh, we integrated it very tightly and removed some of the clunkiness that uh, happened in the other projects. And then another one that, that actually turned out really 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 well um but you know it was, you know i would say it was more like uh circumstance and happenstance and lucky uh was that the the asset uh description or metadata uh is is encoded with ipfs uh links which makes the ipfs uh makes the information about each token immutable right so it can't change 
And that's become really valuable. And, and one of the things that informed that was on Counterparty, which, we, which basically put in like a shortened URL. And so that URL pointed to a website that may or may not be there in one year or two year or three year, you know, it's in, uh, now it's gone. Yeah, all you have is a shortened URL and you don't know what it went to. Uh, it's just gone, you know, kind of lost to history. Uh, and then I think Open Assets did did a similar kind of thing. So so when I was I was helped for ANX, I helped build an explorer, and you try to you know go get the information from these websites, and they'd just be gone, and so you wouldn't know what these tokens were. And then the other thing that makes it unique, uh, sorry, I'm kind of running through lots of them, but but uh, the other thing that makes it unique is is we have kind of a built in, almost like a built in DNS registry type uh, system where uh, you get a unique name when you create a token. Uh, you get a unique name and, it, and uh, the system itself will make sure that name is unique. Um, and that was not easy to build. Um, we had some great developers that, that helped with that. Um, but uh, it's, um, yeah, so you, you pick a name and if, if the name's already taken or if two people try to create the same name, you know, and one's in Asia and one's in the, in, you know, in North America, only one is going to get it and it gets resolved a lot like a double spend does on Bitcoin, right? One will make it into a block and the other one will end up having to leave the mempool. So it's whichever one gets in the block first, um, which you know hasn't really been a problem, but we knew it was going to be a problem on day one. So there was a lot of testing and making sure that, you know, when, when everything happened all at once, that it would it would be able to kind of resolve those. Uh, but those, those, the IPFS thing, the, uh, the unique name thing, uh, and then and then we also have a couple things that we added for security tokens specifically. Uh, later. Perfect. All right. Thank you. That was actually really detailed. I'm reading the the uh, comments here from the community. One of them says, "Hey, I got I, I got three IPFS servers and three Raven nodes, and I make NFTs, so I know they're always going going to be there." Um, awesome. Yeah. There you go. You just got an awesome from Tron. All right, Tron, uh, in regards to Ravencoin and the SEC, I want to ask you, where does Ravencoin stand in regards to um, uh, their part of the regulation system regarding the SEC? Is Ravencoin a security or not? Yeah, Ravencoin is definitely not a security. I mean, we have documents that kind of analyze the various different court cases and things like that that were that were actually generously uh, done by by uh, uh, by Doug, who runs Mango Farm, uh, created a document for us. We needed that actually to get on one of the exchanges early on to get on Bitrix. They needed that document, and we had raised some funds uh, via crypto, via specifically via Raven to 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 uh, hire uh, you know an SEC attorney. It's not a it's not an easy thing to do because it's uh, it's not like creating a will. Uh, it's it's more like hey, if you're doing this wrong, right? Then 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 you know you've got you know you've got some liability or whatever. But uh, it was clean enough, uh, and and uh, so it was generously uh, this document was generously created. We have it; it's it's online, uh, and so so we're not worried about Raven itself. Now, if you create a token on Ravencoin, your own token, right, and then you sell it to someone uh, with the expectation of profit and that you know, you have to do something or the company that it re- you know that those shares represent have to do something things like that you can definitely create securities where the the token is uh, you know where, where you're selling it basically a securities and investment contract so you can actually create an investment contract where the contract is 
is the token and, and therefore you could create a, a security uh, on Ravencoin. So you got to be careful not to do that. Or if you do it, which I, sh- I probably should say, you can't, do, don't do that. I should say, uh, if you do it, uh, just make sure that you're selling it under one of the exemptions. And the exemptions are Reg D, which sells, you sell to accredited investors, Reg S, meaning you sell to people who aren't in the U.S. Uh, or aren't U.S. citizens, or actually both of those. You can't be in the U.S. or, or, or can't be a U.S. citizen. Uh, you can do Reg CF, which is you can do a project and, and a broker dealer is the only one who can list it for you on a website. You can't list it yourself. Uh, that's actually a really nice one. And, and they've upped the limits on that. So that's a great one. Uh, Reg A, which allows you to uh, go up to 20 million or 50 million, something like that. Reg CF will let, let, let you raise up to 5 million now. So the limits have been raised. Um, those are actually changes recent. The, the Reg CF, Reg A, all those changes are recent. And by recent, I mean they were told by Congress to do it in 2012, and it took them a long time to do it, but uh, they're done. And so there's these other options that are available. Uh, so they're great. Okay. So, so just to reiterate, Ravencoin is not a security. Now, the things that you can create with the asset feature, depending on how you market that, those can be created. Those can be considered a an ICO per se, correct? Uh, yeah. So, so an ICO is um, <laughs> these are all terms. Just, just so we're we're clear. Like you won't you can't you can't go like ask the SEC what is an ICO because it's kind of a made up term that was kind of made up in 2017, right? An initial coin offering, which is probably a really bad term to use because it sounds like initial public offering. Um, but uh, yeah, but there's also other countries, as long as, you, as long as you stay away from the US, if you're outside the US and you're not selling to US people, right? Then, then you know, you, you can do a lot of this stuff. You just need to make sure you're kind of staying away from the US because the, the SEC or uh, I think the FCA and UK. I mean, you have to, you know, whatever your laws are, but if you're in another country and you kind of stay away from those uh, that, you know, for people that are kind of covered under the FCA or the, or the SEC, then yeah, you're fine. Uh, should be fine. You know, check with your own laws. Uh, this is a global technology. Um, I'm more familiar with the US just because I live here. Um, but yeah. Uh, Perfect. All right. Uh, Jake, do you have any questions before I continue in regards to... Go ahead. Go ahead. Questions. I'm up here real quick. Um, Tron, I was really curious about the um, build of Ravencoin and trying to make it ASIC resistant. When um, when you guys formatted Ravencoin, was it um, was China a big player in the ASIC space, and was that the the uh, prompt? Or why you wanted to make it ASIC resistant, or was it just trying to one large player, regardless of what yeah. country that happened to be in? Yeah, so so I, I don't think ASICs are evil, uh, but what uh, tends to happen is uh, if if it's only ASICs, uh, meaning the people that uh, by ASIC is just an application-specific integrated circuit. It's basically a custom box that's designed just to mine. And what happened with, with uh, Bitcoin is it went through an evolution, right? You could mine on a CPU and then GPU and then FPGAs, which are programmable gateways, and then, uh, and then uh, ASICs. And ASICs were just so much faster than everything else that if someone had one, you're competing with them uh, for, for a block. And they might be 10,000 times faster, 100,000 times faster. 
Uh, so if you're still on a GPU or you know older technology, you're just you know you'll, you'll spend more uh, you know sp spend more on electricity than it's worth to mine, and that tends to concentrate uh, the mining into uh, bigger farms, places where they have cheap power, things like that. Ideally, um, actually, actually I, I think ideally you know CPU mining is great. The only downside to CPU mining uh, is that it tends to be uh the we'll call it the you know like attackers tend to put like uh, viruses and things like that because if they can get all of all the computers mining uh with the cpu without you knowing about it it's basically just a bunch of people you know mining for somebody else right and, and right. you know people download a game but it's really like being paid for by your computer basically just mining something for them that kind of thing yep. uh so gpus seem to be a good sweet spot we actually started with cpu which was fine then it got to gpus which was fine uh and then there was an asic that came that we uh came online it wasn't thousands of times faster just because the nature of the x16r algorithm but it was faster um, one of our goals was basically to kind of kind of not have asics uh, you know for the reasons sure, i just talked right. about and so we we made one tweak uh x16rv2 which basically just made a couple changes and one of the you know one of the things that does is if someone has an asic it's custom built to do one thing and so if you change what it needs to do by just a little bit, it kind of obsoletes it because now it's, uh, you know, now it's not optimized for doing that one thing anymore. So uh, that slowed them down a little bit. Uh, they made some tweaks, firmware tweaks and things like that. And again, you know, and it slowed them down some, they kind of, some of them came back online. And so uh, we switched to an algorithm that, that was designed specifically for kind of you know, not having ASICs built, which is uh, ProgPal, which is kind of a derivative of ETash. Uh, but ProgPal kind of pushed the envelope of the GPU to its limits, you know, like using all of its memory, using all of its, you know, shaders or processing power and things like that uh, to mine. And then uh, if you kind of like use up all the, all of a GPU, and for someone to create an ASIC like that, that they would have to have the memory and the memory bus and that those you know those processors and all that kind of stuff built in, and so it it uh, you could build one, but it would look a lot like a GPU, right? And you'd have to go get you know uh, fourteen nanometer technology and all the same kind of stuff that a GPU manufacturer do. But NVIDIA and AMD have huge you know huge purchasing power and huge economies of scale and things like that. Uh, so we took ProgPal, uh, tweaked it a little bit, modified it a little bit, made it uh, improved just a couple of things that were that, that people had said, hey, this could be a problem. So we just like fixed them uh, with the help of the people that are doing ProgPal, which was very generous of them and helpful, and then released it as CawPal. So CawPal is mostly ProgPal with a, with, a, with a new name and a few improvements. Um, that's, that's what it runs today. And, and for the most part, it seems to be working great. Uh, GPUs are are profitable um it's one of the more profitable coins to mine um and e ethereum i think is still the most profitable mostly because of its you know huge recent runs uh, and, and if they do move over to a proof of stake uh, there's a good chance we get a lot of those miners back over on on ravencoin or at least we hope to uh, one, one other question thank you for answering that that's a good good history of the uh background of Raven and how it's avoiding ASICs. Um, I have, it's a more of a financial question. 
and it's just of interest because you were involved with Overstock for a while. I don't know if you still are, um, but uh, how much of Overstock's involvement is in crypto? Is it still just a company that sells other people's, you know, stock <laughs> that is, you know, assets, uh, physical assets, or is Overstock much more heavily, or do you even know, involved in uh, crypto? Yeah, so I, I would say uh, it's not involved in crypto very much. I believe you can still pay with crypto, but I'm not 100%, uh, not crypto in general, but I think Bitcoin, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, the the All the investments uh, that Medici Ventures did have been uh, turned into this one financial fund and someone else is running that fund. Uh, so Pelion Venture Partners, which is a, a venture partner management company here in Salt Lake is managing that. Uh, and so I would say for the most part, that is, uh, is, is on Overstock's books. Uh, so they'll get the benefits from, you know, the exit events, uh, you know, T zero is public or gets bought by a big entity or that's something like that. Um, Overstock would definitely benefit from those. Um, but, but it's not actively uh, pursuing uh, crypto projects that I'm aware of. Okay. So it's not, it just happens to be an asset or a function that they have participated in, but it's not like a core chunk of what they do. Correct. Okay. Correct. That's just trying to understand. I, mean, I guess the thing I was trying to understand was, was it a pet project that became something that a uh, Mency project or is it, you know, some, was it a partnership at one point and then Oversight's like, well, we don't really want to do this as a core, core work where we have, you know, another thing that makes us money. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any tie to that. Or if it, it's like some yeah i mean i don't i don't have really public information on it i but okay. i would definitely characterize it as um as you know it was patrick patrick's uh patrick's passion was crypto um okay so would yeah. you would you characterize the let's let's put it into context of something that's happened recently would you say that patrick was uh jack dorsey level uh, uh crypto fanatic or <laughs> i I, I would. I, I mean, uh, Pat, Patrick was very visionary. I think he saw a lot of things actually surprisingly accurately, uh, seeing very, very early. Uh, I mean, a lot. I, I think a lot of the lead may have been lost, but but I think T zero and, and what was being done back then, and, and the the ability to kind of see stocks on the blockchain and and things like that were, you know, uh, I mean, people talked to him, and he was in that in that area. He was you know doing keynotes back in like twenty fourteen. Um, and that, that's actually where I, uh, I, you know, saw him was actually in the keynote in Netherlands, uh, talking about this early, early on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that a lot of it was, was, uh, his visionary, uh, his vision. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious because it seemed like Minnesota, uh, is a fairly, it's not, obviously it's just a, a trust and effect, not actually a, a you know, practicing entity any longer, but I just wondered if. It was spawned out of his interest with with the idea of forming it into a practical crypto something company. It sounds like it's just a holding place now. Um, yeah. Yep. Now it is. Yep. That's all the questions I have. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Uh, let me move this microphone here. Okay. Tron. So in, I want to talk about the blockchain, the Ravencoin blockchain. That has been something that I have been keeping an eye on uh, regularly, you know, on and off, I would say a few times per week. 
And at any given time, you can even go now, at any given time, you can uh, easily see an average of, of 10 transactions uh, per block, less than 10 transactions per block. Uh, in, in my opinion, that's a little concerning. Uh, I, I feel like there should be a lot more use case, a lot more transactions being pushed out on the blockchain. Um, I'm not sure if this is something to be concerned about, um, but I feel I feel that if we have more transactions showing more activity being utilized on the network, it's going to mm -hmm. be more. It's going to look a lot more better for bigger projects and bigger companies to utilize Ravencoin. They see all this activity. Oh, they, they can dump their liquidity there and start working, uh, building out their projects from there. But when you see something like Ravencoin currently with less than 10 transactions, uh, per block. Um, it's more of a hobby coin, if anything, if you ask me. Uh, so what are some projects that are, I guess, pushing up more transactions either now or in the near future that's going to bring more, um, I guess, uh, transactions on the blockchain? Because I would like to see it because I believe that having more transactions will bring more um, bigger companies into Ravencoin. Because I, I like Ravencoin. I personally use Ravencoin. Yeah. I'm a part of the Ravencoin community. So I want to see more growth happening, more utilization on the network. Now, sure. the first the first main question I want to ask you is, is this a concern? Uh, ha not having a, a ton of transactions on the block, not a concern to me. Uh, I mean, the, the important thing would be the, you know, the value of those transactions. So uh, there's a very vibrant uh, NFT um, ecosystem growing. Uh, if you want to, you know, kind of join that or see that, you can go to ravencoin.foundation scroll down to the footer uh, and there's a section for nfts and there's uh three different marketplaces there's people that'll help create nfts for you there's people that are creating nfts you know over time uh there's marketplaces uh that you can go to and, and visit those some of them are uh you know kind of bigger ones uh you know like sports figures and things like that sports memorabilia and stuff that have been up on uh, the times square billboards uh billboard or you know a screen things like that uh, and you know, so there's collections and things like that, which are kind of, you know, you know, kind of popular right now. Um, so what we don't want, uh, is, uh, you know, the, the capacity of, of Ravencoin, uh, we increased it to uh, 20 X over Bitcoin's capacity. So, uh, it has that, that, you know, we'll call it excess, excess capacity. If we start bumping up the limit up against those limits, uh, that, that, will uh will increase the fees um and so we, we what we don't want is sort of the, the ethereum issue right where you've got uh you know like you know crowded uh you know you have to you have to pay fifty dollars you know to kind of make stuff something happen um so uh, i would say you know as long as it's working for people and you know creating assets and selling stocks and and uh, you know there's there's you know wine transaction whiskey uh, tokens and NFTs, and as long as all that's working well, um, I think that's okay. And 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 ten transactions per block is still you know fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand transactions per day, which is pretty good rate. Nice, thank you. All right, so one of the biggest developments going on in the Ravencoin community is a P2SH, the pay to script hash uh, uh, feature that you guys are building. You guys have been working on that for a while. Now, I, I want some clarification here on the podcast that uh, P2SH has been integrated into the Ravencoin uh, core 
since the beginning. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, not since the, well, uh, yeah. So so, Ravencoin has always had P2SH. Thank you. That's pay to script hash, but for Raven only. Right. So correct. Uh, for Raven, uh, it's been there from from day one, right? Because it was it came over from Bitcoin. What wasn't there was P2SH for assets. Uh, so when we built assets, uh, we built it uh, for, uh, I think it was, not, it wasn't pay to script hashes, uh, pub key, pay to pub key, I think. Um, so simple transactions. Uh, and and the, the difference is that a pay to script hash transaction can be larger, more complex, handle uh, multi-sig, larger multi-sigs, uh, things like that. Because basically what you're putting on the chain is a hash of the script of the unlocking script. And that allows you to basically hold the unlocking script, which could be like a, you know, a, a 12 of 15 or something like that. And the advantage to doing a 12 of 15 is not that you know, somebody's worried about, oh, I gotta have like 15 relatives hold, you know, my keys. It's really more about uh, decentralizing uh, with computers and various networks being able to sign uh, for transactions. So you're having a lot of computers that could sign. And then as long as, you know, more than half of those sign, uh, that allows you to do things where you can automate moving assets or locking up assets uh, so that you can mint them on another chain where you can do some other things with them, borrow against them and things like that. And then when you want to transfer them back, you come back and then they're like a federated network of, of signers uh, can basically sign and, and move those back, you know, on, on the Ravencoin chain. So that's kind of its purpose. Uh, there's already been uh, using pay to script hash. There's already been the ability to take Raven and then move P Raven, uh, so sort of pegged Raven over onto the Binance smart chain. We just want that same capability for assets. And so that that's really what the pay to script hash code is about. Uh, it's been written. It's been tested. Uh, it's gone through uh, an audit by in uh, ISC.io. Uh, and it's currently in testing. People are testing currently uh, 4.70 uh, something. Uh, so if you want to help test, uh, we can definitely use testers. Perfect. Uh, so when is uh, P2SH going to be fully released with asset features? Yeah, so we'll probably, uh, depending on how the testing goes on the, on the 4.7, we'll probably want to start releasing that code. Uh, will probably allow the activation of uh, P2SH after the halvening. Uh, and then after the halvening, it will count up how many blocks have been mined using the new code. Um, and that's so that we don't get into a weird 50-50 thing. Uh, and, and as long as we hit a certain threshold, we'll probably be like 75 or 80%, uh, then it'll switch over. And then we'll need to do the work to make sure that all the, the economic players, the Bitrix and Binance and all those guys have upgraded well before that happens. Uh, you, you said 80%. Do you think that's high enough yeah. to really migrate the entire community or should it be higher? Because I'm thinking it's that it should be... It's a city? It's a, it's a trade-off. So 100% would be great. Uh, but if we don't reach it, it'll probably never activate. Uh, you know, all it takes is like one guy mining a block every once in a while uh, to, to block it. And so uh, it's it's a trade-off. Here's the thing: we don't have uh, ability to easily communicate with all of the mining pools, right? We don't know who all the mining pools are. For one, uh, they may not speak. Uh, they probably don't speak, you know, the one language that I speak. 
Um, you know, we, we have people all over the world, so they can help. Um, but we have limited ability to communicate. I mean, it's a super decentralized project. I mean, if this yeah. was a, you know, you know, a salon or something, you just like flip a switch and, you know, it's. No, that's 100%. It's, this is all community involvement. Everybody that's watching right now is, is just supporting me because obviously blockchain john like i i've been part of this ravencoin community for a while so that's why they're hanging out there they're they're supporting they're supporting the community this is all we're, we're all doing this for the community you're being on the podcast talking about ravencoin it's all for the community there's people that are going to watch this probably in about six hours that are on the other side of the world that are going to wake up mm -hmm. and, and appreciate this stuff um okay now in sure. to the happening the happening is coming up in about uh 32 days from now i believe it's going to be on january 11th uh, according to one of the tickers that I uh, checked out earlier today, um, that's pretty far apart from your original, uh, I guess, uh, Genesis block, January third. Is th that another concern? I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, it's only um, well, it's actually not set by exactly four years. Um, is one. It's actually uh, twenty one, uh, two million one hundred thousand blocks is actually how it's set. Okay. Uh, so it's not actually set by a date. Uh, so it's actually that many minutes uh, is what it's set to. And so whenever that happens, and that's going to be roughly four years. So I think it's actually coming in uh, pretty well, tracking pretty well. I mean, that's about a week after you know, a week after the four, 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 uh, the four year date. So it's actually that's surprisingly close to me. Um, so that's great. Uh, I'm excited for that. Perfect. Are you going to troll everybody and just do like a, a billion, uh, a billion Ravencoin and free airdrop to everybody? <laughs> yeah. If we were, if we were a centralized project that had kept a whole bunch of, of, of Raven for that purpose, then for sure. But uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the Raven has to come from somewhere because it gets, it gets mined into existence for everybody, myself included. Correct. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to take this time right now to talk about the Ravencoin Foundation. Um, once again, I am part of the Ravencoin community, and I'm always talking with the Ravencoin community. And everybody wants to know what is going on with the Ravencoin Foundation because the last time there was an update that publicly uh, public update was on May third, twenty twenty one. That's about seven months ago. There hasn't been any updates on the actual website since then. Uh, where can the community is or I, where can we find this information in regards to the monthly meetups that have been going on in regards to the Ravencoin Foundation? Uh, what kind of meet? Are you meaning like on for the board meeting minutes? Yeah, Is yeah, that what you're talking the, about? Yeah, or uh, the, the the meetings of the oh. minutes? Yeah. Okay, uh, that's actually just me falling down on that. So uh, I have those. I just need to post them. Okay. They're, they're not super exciting. They're just us kind of like, hey, is there anything we need to talk about or vote and things like that? There's been a couple of things that we voted on, but um, yeah, we, we do hold the meeting. We used to hold it about every week, and now we hold it uh, once a month, but there are some, there are meeting minutes that I can post. Uh, it, who's involved in the Ravencoin Foundation? Uh, so uh, there's the, I'm the president, uh, and then the, there's an, an, an board member. And uh, Doug from Mango Farms, and the former uh, CTO of of uh, Energy Ventures, uh, Jeremy Smith. Okay, just three people. Is is that, is that all you need? Three people. It it is because the there there's documents out there. We talked about increasing it. 
Uh, but that was if the if the Raven coin was going to be modified to take some of the block reward and, and send funds to it, uh, which we kind of decided not to do. So, uh, so, so the, the, the funds for the foundation are basically the original funds that, that, uh, that Overstock uh, provided, uh, and then the donations for the security audits, and then uh, some donations that are basically had come in from uh, generous donors that are going out uh, for various different things, uh, including uh, some of the bounties that are being offered. Are, are, are these uh, meetings public or private? They are private. Uh, we probably could make them public. I mean, if that's something somebody wanted to go to, uh, I'd have to I'd have to check um, if that's something that. I think yeah, um, the community would. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the community would appreciate uh, some some public input, or at least uh, know what's going on publicly. So that's why I'm bringing this up in regards um, to the minutes because people want to know what's going on if. if if there's any money being moved around in regards to the foundation um, and, and what projects are being invested into, because nobody knows what's been going on with the foundation for the past months. For all, for all we know, you guys could have burnt up all, all the Ravencoin that, that that's been donated. Nobody knows. Oh nobody no, that knows. so that's all public. Uh, that the, the the accounting part of it is uh, is completely public. So and especially because it's blockchain based, uh, there's a if you go to the accounting, you can click on the the addresses and see how much is in all of the addresses that are for the various different buckets. So that's all, that's all public. Okay. All right. Uh, but would you, would you consider having public meetings? At, at least, at least, at least just, I mean, you don't have to have, like, for example, you can do a, um, a Twitter space. Cause that's the new thing right now. Twitter space where you can have just the, the, the core board members and just have listeners come in and just listen to what's going on in regards to the board. And on top of that, you can have that all uh, audio recorded if you wanted to, because uh, Twitter Spaces has a built-in uh, recording feature there. That's that's a, that's a thought. Keep that in mind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Recently, recently, November 13th through the 21st, there was an exciting event that happened in the Ravencoin community that very few people uh, were able to participate because, you know, like me, I have I have a day job, so I couldn't hang out with you guys. But there was this an event, this uh, Ravencoin meetup on the Carnival Horizon. Yep. There wasn't that much media put out in regards to that. I, and I really wanted to know what was going on. If you, if you guys were, were, were shaking hands with you know, uh, Brian Armstrong and, and trying to, you know, get, you know, win, win, win Coinbase. What's going on? You know, can you give us a little, uh, yeah, uh, little uh, insight of what happened on the, on the cruise? Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, so it was the idea, um, of, I think Pathfinder originally, it's like, Hey, we should do a meetup on, you know, on a cruise ship. I thought it was a fantastic idea. Uh, so basically did that. We just picked, picked a cruise cruise thing and, kind of publicized it. I would say it was, uh, so we actually kind of filled up the ship really quick. I don't know if it was filled up from other stuff, but all of a sudden, uh, very quickly, the, the ship was like had limited cabins, which seemed really odd to me. Um, it felt like either I was completely unaware of a ton of people that were signing up um, or anyway, I, I don't know. But all of a sudden it was to the point where people were trying to get cabins and they couldn't. So I was, anybody who basically contacted me, I, 
talk to the people over at Carnival and we could get a cabin. Uh, we ended up having quite a few people signed up and then uh, quite a few people end up having to drop out. And it's because of the rules around uh, vaccines. They require vaccines. Um, and so there's a pretty strong overlap between the crypto community, you know, kind of like, don't tell me what to do kind of thing and, and, and not having vaccines. So I think I would guess that about half the people ended up uh, dropping for that reason. Wow. Which is kind of unfortunately, you know, we had some of those come visit us here in Salt Lake and things like that. So that was, that was nice. Uh, but um, uh, the crew's great. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we, we held board meeting. We did uh, for anybody who, uh, who hasn't already done this, uh, you sign up with uh, Bitsby Trippin. Uh, he actually took some videos uh, from that, uh, from the trip. And so you can see us chatting about Ravencoin and, and things like that. So just at, at bits be tripping. I think he's on YouTube and, and Twitter. And, and for transparency, transparency purposes was, was the Ravencoin foundation fund used for the cruise? Nope. Nope. It wasn't, it was all, everybody's putting in their own money. Okay, cool. How many, uh, yep. how many people participated in the cruise? Uh, let's see. 12. 12? Wow. That's a, I thought, I thought a cruise was like a large ship. Oh, it is a large ship. They just, they just, they just weren't all Ravencoin people. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't get the whole cruise ship. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. But, uh, but, uh, just, you know, while, while we're here talking about it, uh, we would like to do this again. Um, it's, it was actually really great. Um, and the people that were on the, the trip got along great. Uh, we had a great time. We talked about all kinds of stuff, you know, world life crypto um and raven coin so uh we would like to do it again so we're thinking of doing it at a similar time uh next year so if anybody wants to schedule that into their vacation plans i think it'd be really fun perfect uh so we're moving closer and closer to the happening from 5000 raven to 2500 raven coin can you make any predictions on what's going to be happening with raven coin and the crypto markets can you no? yeah i I don't know. Uh, so, uh, so a couple things happen. One is, you know, basically it cuts the supply being introduced to the market in half. So that that'll happen for sure, right? It doesn't matter if more people come in and mine, more people, you know, people drop off because it's not as profitable. Whatever happens, you know, however the mining goes, if there's more miners, fewer miners, there will be half as many supply coming into the market every minute. Uh, I don't know how many of the people that are mining, how many people are mining for purely economic reasons. There are miners out there that are just like, hey, this is very profitable. It's great. But I don't like Ethereum, so I'm mining this. And as soon as I get them, I sell them and I get something else or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, get the cash and, you know, pay off the electricity and then, you know, use the rest of the money to put my kids to school or whatever they do. Right. I, I, you know, there's, there's some of those. There's other people that are there for, um, or the ethos reasons, right? They're like, I love Ravencoin, I'm mining Ravencoin, I'm holding Ravencoin. I don't know what the ratio is of people holding to basically people selling. Uh, for the people selling, that's just selling pressure, meaning all of those Raven that come in, 5,000 per minute, if everybody was selling, that's all selling pressure, right? And so that would, would cut in half. If everybody's holding, then you know it doesn't make as much difference because it's like okay they're just all holding anyway um it's just you know they're just holding less so it, it really does depend on the ratio of people like selling versus people holding and i don't know what those ratios are mm. 
Okay. Here's a question from uh, the community member, uh, Ravenquin community member. They, they want to ask, and I guess this has been circulating around the community here uh, recently. Um, and they asked if I can ask you the question, um, what makes Ravencoin different from DAOs? DAOs. Uh, okay. Uh, so that, to me, that's just the question sounds like apples and you know, what's that's different apple and oranges because uh, DAOs are typically smart contracts where uh, this is my understanding of the DAOs. Uh, you know, it's a smart contract where people have kind of agreed with you know, whatever the smart contract says, and you're basically depositing money into the smart contract. And the smart contract might pay out, might pay out based on voting, might pay out based on uh, you know governance and you know and how you vote and, and things like that. So it's Correct. like a it's like a, a mechanism that has the ability to hold funds or money. And then kind of distribute it out based on the kind of the will of the people that that have put the money into the, the smart contract. Uh, Raven is a is a is an asset creation platform, uh, and so it's kind of a different animal, right? It it it, it has the properties of Bitcoin in the sense that it's uh, you know there, there's a coin, a token. Uh, it has a market, has some market volumes. You know, lots of places you can trade it, you can hold it. Um, and then it also has the ability to create uh, assets or tokens that represent whatever you want them to represent. And whether it's an hour of your time or, or wine that's not ready to drink yet that can be redeemed later or a, or a, a, a ticket uh, you know, to a movie or whatever, um, or an NFT. And the NFTs are really popular right now. Um, so they're, they're really not the same thing. So it's hard for me to answer that question. Okay, perfect. There is this whale wallet that the community keeps bringing up. They're trying to. Everybody's trying to find out who the person or persons or companies or yep. you know uh, is. Yep. And I'm sure you've heard it. You've heard heard of it as well. I have. I have, uh, and my views have changed. Uh, so I believe it's a an exchange. Really? W which exchange? Yep. Um. person that, that that i talked to about it would prefer knows that they don't really want to know could just because for security reasons okay um fair that's fair that's there fair. there are there are there are some hints that i can post in in um uh you know but like a, an actual transaction that's you know sentence and stuff that that's you know that, that would be helpful i mean there's public information available and i'm willing to post that but i don't feel like it's my role to Okay. to say who it is okay fair enough fair enough okay uh i want to move over to the uh asian community in ravencoin um because they they're pretty big and they're very active and they're very passionate i don't know if you follow them tron but uh i yeah. follow, i follow them i've been since i i created the the twitter account i've been following a lot of the folks um on the other side of the uh, of the world and they are so passionate about ravencoin it's Wow, I wish that was spread Great. out everywhere because they're showing so much love, so much love. Um, the first person that I really had the opportunity to really talk to that was uh, from South Korea was uh, Blockchain Tiger, a.k.a. Yes. Joshua. That guy is phenomenal. He is, he is so phenomenal. inspirational, man. Um, have, have you had a chance to really talk to him and, and see what kind of projects he's working on? 
so I have. He's donated uh, quite a bit to the foundation. He's been super supportive of the project. Uh, I've gone to lunch with him. I'm happy to help him with anything he needs. He has been amazing. He's traveled to other countries. Uh, he's, he's talked to the people that during the Forex markets. He's, he's, he's uh, yeah, I'm 100% with you. Totally amazing. Uh, totally incredible. I'm totally behind him and support what he's doing. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like he's a, the, 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 the main representative of the um, the Ravencoin community in Asia. Because yep. just the way he's so passionate, it reverberates throughout the Asian community. It, it From my eyes, from my opinion, I see this going on. And everybody that's, uh, that's on the other side of the world in, in, in South Korea, uh, they are super passionate about it. And I don't know if it's coming directly from him down to everybody else that follows him. But this is what I see. It just so deep in passion. It, for the view, viewers and the listeners out there, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go follow a few of these Ravenites that are uh, in South Korea or, or China. Like, they're so passionate. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yep. Jake, do you have any more questions for Tron? I'm sure there has been one or two or three that has come up. No, I think I've gotten everything I... I mean, it is interesting to talk with Tron again. Um, I, I like the updates. It, it's... Uh, the community seems... I wouldn't say it's running itself entirely by itself, but uh, I think the progress that Tron had set out in the white paper has not fully achieved its purpose, but is at least in the progress of process of doing that. And it's good to see that. But... Um, no, I don't. I don't have any additional questions at this time. It, but one of my original questions were have all been answered. Thank you, Tron. Perfect. Great. Right. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, Tron. We're gonna get ready to wrap this up, Jake. If you can, please give us that Ravencoin outro. And this particular Ravencoin outro, and the plug, by the way, uh, this Ravencoin outro is actually the the last, the the footer of the Ravencoin white paper. And that's how we're going to end this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Tron. Thank you. Somewhere and thank you to everybody that is watching us live in Twitch. Right. In conclusion, <clears throat> oh, at the very end, sorry, I didn't read that at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> the Inuit, the ting, uh, Tinglet, the Tahitian, the Chukchi, the Sioux, and the Haida and many others call Raven the magical keeper of secrets, the trickster, friend of the first men and creator of the world, an idea or force able to shift and change and create something from nothing. In open source, the power of the, cr of the crowd can accomplish much more than any one person or organization. All are welcome to contribute. With that said, Tron, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank again thank again. you for having me. I... All right, Cryptonauts. With that said, until next time, stack sats and huddle.